Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. Invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Matthew today. We're going to be in Matthew this week and the book of Luke pretty much next Sunday morning as we talk about the reality of Christmas. One of my favorite movies, The Christmas Story, ends with a celebration on Christmas morning where the family has cooked this perfect turkey and the neighbor's hound dogs come in and get the turkey. Remember the scene if you've seen that movie? And they come in and the turkey's everywhere scattered and this perfect uh, Christmas holiday dinner that the family has planned is just ruined and they end up at a Chinese restaurant because in those days that was the only place that was open. And the waiters sing fa-ra-ra-ra-ra to them. <laughs> Not the Christmas they had planned. I think about the opening, one of the opening scenes in the, in the Christmas Carol, National Lampoon, where uh, the, I forgot his name, I can't believe I forgot his name, Chevy Chase's character. Clark, okay, Clark Griswold is ready, y'all have seen it. He's ready for this perfect Christmas, and the door opens up, and the family comes in, and it's blah, 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 nah, nah. it's just terrible. And it's like he's prepared for this perfect Christmas, but it doesn't ever end up being that way. I thought today we would just look at those two pictures of Christmas and keep that in mind as we look at the Christmas story. Because we look at the story, we sing these carols, we have in our mind, this is going to be a perfect Christmas, but we celebrate it with imperfect people. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? That uncle that shows up drunk. That sibling that always stirs something up. The grandparents who get irritated with the grandkids. That distant cousin who everybody wants to be there and just decides not to come that day. Whatever it is, Christmas doesn't always end up being like we expect. By the way, every family has that weird relative, right? And if you can't think of who that weird relative is, okay, I didn't even need to finish that, did I? So let's look at the true story of Christmas and try to grab hold of the reality of it. The birth of Jesus Christ, we're in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid. By the way, in Scripture, whenever an angel shows up, that's usually what they say. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Verse 23, 
See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph got up from sleeping, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not know her intimately until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Just two points today. Can you believe it? Just two points. Number one, Christmas often fails to meet our expectations. Christmas often fails to meet our expectations. For some of us who are perfectionists, Christmas may never meet our expectations. And I'm not just talking about my understanding of the Christmas story and my family celebration. I'm talking about the first Christmas story. I'm talking about the story of the birth of Christ. It failed to meet expectations. It didn't turn out as we might have scripted it. Imagine you were given the responsibility to orchestrate, to arrange, to choreograph the coming of God in the flesh. What would that look like to you? You'd probably hire an event planner. You'd make a big deal, wouldn't you? I would. I'd let everybody know this is fulfillment of prophecy. This is big, big, big. And I'd gather thousands if I could to be there for that event. That's not the way God planned it. Not the way God anticipated that it would be. This first Christmas didn't go the way many would have wanted it to go. I thought about one of our, I think it was the first Christmas with our daughter. She was sick. All night she was sick. My mom was in the last stages of her cancer. We were all in this little tiny house in Corpus Christi gathered for the Christmas celebration and Christmas Eve. My daughter was sick all night and I held her all night and whenever I'd sit down, she'd cry and wake my mom up. So it was one of those, it was a terrible night. Terrible, terrible. There wasn't anything fun about that night, that, that Christmas. That's the way a lot of Christmases go thinking we're going to get up in the morning and open presents around a tree and we're going to sing, maybe read the Christmas story, maybe sing a Christmas carol, and it's, I'm not even thinking about that tonight. That's the way it went for me. Maybe Joseph and Mary felt the same way. Okay, God's given us this responsibility. He's entrusted us to bring into this world this son of his that's conceived by the Holy Spirit, and that night wasn't quite what they expected either probably cold, miserable, in a setting, possibly a stable, maybe just a a lodge there where animals were around. The timing wasn't good. The circumstances weren't good. You're ready to give birth, and you get word because of this taxation that you're going to have to travel to your hometown, your birth town, and that's inconvenient at best, probably miserable trip. Circumstances weren't good. Timing wasn't good. Just think about Mary and Joseph. When he discovered she was pregnant, he, he chose to, to trust God with it. Boy, don't you know that he got ridiculed in the community? Don't you know that she got ridiculed in the community? The place was less than perfect. A manger, an animal trough, a feeding trough. I read, usually on Christmas time, I read Ken Geyer's description of the the birth of Christ. I just want to read part of it, all right? The birth would not be easy, either for the mother or the child. For every royal privilege for his son ended at conception. A scream from Mary knifes through the calm of the silent night. Joseph returns breathless 
water sloshing from a wooden bucket. The top of the baby's head has already pushed its way into the world. Sweat pours from Mary's contorted face as Joseph, the most unlikely midwife in all Judea, rushes to her side. And Joseph places a garment beneath her with a final push and a long sigh. Her labor is over. The Messiah has arrived, wet and slippery from amniotic fluid, the Son of God of the Most High, umbilically tiled to a lowly Jewish girl. He goes on to say later in his description, and so with barely a ripple of notice, God stepped into the warm lake of humanity without protocol and without pretension. Where you would have expected angels, there were only flies. Where you would have expected heads of state, there were only donkeys. Maybe a few cows, a nervous ball of sheep, a tethered camel, and a furtive scurry of curious barn mice. Thus, in this little town of Bethlehem, that one silent night, the royal birth of God's son tiptoed quietly as the world slept. Again, not the way we would have orchestrated it, but can you see the incredible simplicity of the birth of Christ? The announcement is made to the shepherds. We'll look at this next week in Luke chapter 2. Shepherds were out there taking care of their flocks by night, and the angels announced to them, these lowly shepherds, I'm going to let the announcement be made to you, and you're going to help spread the word. The lowest on the totem pole in society get to share the news. And then Herod gets the news. And in chapter 2 of Matthew, we read how Herod uh, uh, quizzed the wise men and tried to find out where this baby was, and he didn't get the information he wanted. So he ordered in in verse 16 in chapter 2 that all the, the children of Bethlehem, two years old and under, would be executed. Not this perfect Christmas that you would have imagined. But I love this line, although I didn't know where I got it, but I'm, I'm going to claim it as mine, okay? Though all these seem imperfect to us, they were in God's perfect plan to send a perfect Savior to completely deal with our imperfections and dying in our sin. There's a couple of verses that I look at frequently. I share with this congregation. It's in Romans chapter 8, 28 and 29, and I want us to... Look at these two verses and then make a couple of points of application for us. Verse 28, we know that in all things, they work together for the good of those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that we would be the firstborn among many brothers. Here's what Paul wrote about those things that happen around us. For those of us who know God, for those of us who love God, he will use those things according to his purpose. And what's his purpose? That we would be conformed to the image of his son. God took these unlikely, simple circumstances that failed to meet everyone's expectations there, and he brought the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus, into the world. I want to say three things about what Paul says as we think about Christmas When God interrupts our plans and expectations, remember, he has far greater things in mind for us. When God interrupts our plans, our expectations, remember, he has far greater things in mind for us. Think about Joseph and Mary. They're engaged. They're a young couple, probably teenagers. And their plan is to have this this life that they've pictured for themselves. I don't know how much plan would have gone into that, but they're engaged. They're in that betrothal period where there was a a year or so that went by just to prove the purity of the 
the, the lady in the relationship, and then ultimately they would be married. That's why Joseph talked about divorce, because they were officially married but hadn't come together. That's what that, that betrothal period was. And they had, they had this plan for that. After that was over, to have this great wedding ceremony and have the family there and have this just, just a picture-perfect wedding. My son got married a year ago, and that was one of those things that they really looked forward to, all these details to come together. Sure, Mary and Joseph had that in mind too. Instead, what do they do? They get this announcement that she's pregnant. There go the perfect wedding plans. Then they have to leave and go to Joseph's hometown. There there go the plans of how they were going to celebrate their marriage and then delivering a baby and then having people accuse them both of immorality. Their plan, I'm sure, was to have a normal life, whatever normal is. God interrupted their plan. And if you just focus on the negative of the interruption, all you think about is what a, what a terrible experience they went through. But it was so that the Messiah could come into the world. See, God may interrupt my plans. He may interrupt our plans. But what he has in mind for us is far better than anything we could ever imagine. God uses the unexpected in my life to do things I Never would have expected. That's the way he works. So I want us to just to apply that like it was with Mary and Joseph. Apply it to your own life. When God interrupts your plans, when he interrupts your expectations, trust him like Joseph did. Trust him that he's going to make something good out of this. I love Johnny Erickson Tata's testimony. A quadriplegic was injured as a teenager diving into a shallow pond or river. I'm not sure broke her neck, and she has spent her entire life sharing the gospel with people. Incredible testimony. And she has said, and I'll paraphrase what she said, she has no idea how her life would have turned out if she hadn't had that paralysis. And she's pretty sure it wouldn't have turned out in a good way. In essence, she says, I thank God that he's allowed me to go through this because he's getting the glory for it. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what your expectations are. Maybe it, maybe it surrounds Christmas. I mean, it involves Christmas, Christmas plans, family. Maybe it's something else that's going on in your life, but that truth, that truth is true. God has far greater things in mind than you could ever have imagined. Secondly, we can trust God even in the unexpected uncertainties of life. Trust him, trust him. Whatever those uncertainties are, whatever those unexpected things are, look for his hand in it. Look for his hand. Look for his activity. Look for what he might be doing. Trust him. It's not a matter of if God's going to interrupt my life, but a matter of when. And when he does, am I going to trust him? So important. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it this way, we must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. God will be constantly crossing our paths and canceling our plans. Boy, talk about a testimony. You know Bonhoeffer's story. Ended up being arrested by Hitler and in prison. Hitler executed him when the war was over just because he didn't want him to get out. His plan was to disciple young pastors. That's what he was doing with his life when it all got interrupted and he was arrested and he wrote so much. 
God is constantly crossing my path and, and changing my plans, canceling them. The third truth from Romans 8, and I also get it from the Christmas story, is I need to stop resisting God and start surrendering. Stop resisting him and start surrendering to him. Aren't you thankful that Mary said yes? She could have fought that. Aren't you glad that Joseph said yes to the Lord? He could have cut and run. He thought about it, didn't he? But kudos to Joseph. He, he, was, he was trying to honor Mary and keep her from going through disgrace. They surrendered to the Lord. We used to sing a chorus, yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. Yes, Lord, yes, I will trust you and obey. When your spirit speaks to me, with my whole heart, I will agree. And my answer will be yes, Lord, yes. What's going on in your life right now where God just needs you to say that? Yes, Lord, yes. God always leaves the best for those who leave the choice with him. I'm not sure if Jim Elliott said that or Leonard Ravenhill, but that's so good. He has the best for those who leave the choice with him. When I was a kid, we used to get these things they called Chinese handcuffs. You ever get those? And you always look for someone who had never heard of them before. It's just this kind of tube that you put on this finger and that finger, and you put them together and you say, now, try to get out of that. And the more you pull on those things, remember what happened? the tighter they got. How do you get out of them? Just by release. Just, you just give up. You just give in and quit pushing and pulling. That's, that's the Christian life, folks. God is canceling and interrupting, changing my plans for my life, for my family, for my whatever, and I'm fighting him because I don't want it to go that way. Let's just take the model of Mary and Joseph and let's just surrender and say, yes, Lord, because Christmas will fail to meet my expectations. Life will fail to meet my expectations. I need to trust him. My second point, in light of the fact that Christmas is going to be imperfect, the celebration of it is going to be imperfect, we can keep the true meaning of Christmas alive. It is our responsibility as Christ followers. The media is not going to do it. Our politicians aren't going to do it. Our culture is not going to do it. It is up to us to keep the true meaning of Christmas alive. I don't know why, but this year I've been listening uh, just more in tune to the, all the Santa Claus songs. And as I've listened to those songs and sometimes sing along them because I have since I was a kid, it, I, I sense that, that somehow we have morphed Santa into God. He knows when you've been sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, all those kinds of things. Think about how our culture has made that into, that's what Christmas is about. And so all of those attributes that are good, they ascribe to Santa Claus. Overseas in Asia, they celebrate Christmas as Santa's birthday. You'll find Santa Claus all over the place over there because it's his birthday. It's up to us to keep the true meaning of Christmas alive. 
And I just want to go to the theological statement of that in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Then verse 14, the Word became flesh and took up residence among us, and we observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's Christmas, folks. God, the Word, became flesh and made his dwelling among us so that we could see the glory of God. He stepped down into our world to reveal his love to us. Verse 12 in John chapter 1, as many as received him to those who believed in his name, he gave right to become children of God. That's what Christmas is all about. It's our responsibility to make that evident to everyone. So I need to do this. I need to focus on the birth of Christ during my Christmas celebration. Focus on his birth, the birth of Christ in my Christmas celebration. Next week, we will have a, a, a nativity handout that we passed out a couple of years ago. We'll, I'm updating it, that you can take with your family and you can read through the Christmas story. And we're going to do that on Sunday night, but I'm going to make it available if you want to do that with your family around the Christmas tree. Some scriptures, some, some songs you can sing so that you can remind your family that this is about the birth of Christ. I read a story about some women who had gathered together at a fancy restaurant and, and one asked, why are you all celebrating? So we're celebrating the birth of my son. And the other ladies looked around and said, where's your son? And she said, well, you didn't think I'd bring him to this place, did you? So we celebrate this birth of the Messiah, of Jesus, God with us, Emmanuel. Sometimes we forget to bring him. The last thing I would say about keeping the true meaning of Christmas alive, and I borrow this from Joseph Stoll, don't just celebrate, imitate. Don't just celebrate, imitate. Joe Stoll tells the story. He grew up in a pastor's home. He said, I can still remember my dad standing there, coat on and hat in hand on a Christmas afternoon, asking me, Joe, you want to come with me? Friends, games, football, gifts, and lots of great food was there. What was his mission? To visit an elderly widow who lived down the street. With no children and no family, she spent every holiday alone. And every Christmas, my dad, in the midst of the celebration, gave the gift of himself, sharing a few moments of companionship to help ease her lonely heart. Indelibly etched on my memory are those two or three times when I stood up from my toys, grabbed my coat, put my hand in dad's, and walked down the street to spend an hour imitating Christ's gift of himself. Let's do that this Christmas. I came across a letter from Jesus, source unknown, just thinking about what might Jesus write to us as people celebrating his birth. I'm not going to read it all, but he gives some suggestions in this letter about how you would celebrate. He says, choose something from this list if you want to give me a gift. So just imagine this is what Jesus might want from us. Instead of writing protest letters objecting to the way 
my birthday is being celebrated. Write a letter of love and hope to soldiers who are away from home. Visit someone in a nursing home. You don't have to know them personally. Just, they just need to know that someone cares. Instead of giving your children a lot of gifts that you can't afford and that they don't need, spend time with them. Tell them the story of my birth and why I came to live down here. Hold them in your arms and remind them that I love them too. Pick someone who has hurt you in the past and choose to forgive him or her. If you really want to make a difference this Christmas, support a missionary, especially one who takes my love and good news to those who have never heard my name. We're doing that with our international mission offering. Finally, if you want to make a statement about your belief in me and your loyalty to me, then behave like a Christian. Don't do things in secret that you wouldn't do in my presence. Let people know by your actions rather than by your words that you're one of mine. Someone told me this week about a bumper sticker they saw. And it was on a, the, tra- the hitch, the, the, the trailer hitch, and it said, do you follow Jesus this closely? This Christmas, next week we're going to look at the story. We're going to look at the whole picture and all of Luke, as Luke describes it. But this Christmas, as we get ready for that, I just wanted us to be prepared that it's not going to be perfect. The first Christmas wasn't perfect. Those who were there trusted God with their whole hearts. And look what came of that. And now we can celebrate this Christmas, understanding it won't be perfect, but that God would use us for his glory. Maybe someone in your family or a neighbor or a friend will discover this year the real meaning of Christmas. Let's pray together.